gonna be a good day. This Monday we do have a little bit left available here. Check us out, familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks, have a good day. Welcome back to War Stories. I'm coming to you live from Tel Aviv. I'm honored to have my good friend and colleague, Dan O'Shea, former U.S. Navy SEAL, Lieutenant Commander in the U.S. Navy, Naval Academy grad, and former coordinator of hostage rescue throughout Iraq for two years. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for coming on. Good to be on with you, Todd. So uh, I wanted to bring you on and talk about what's going on here because, you know, we're getting a lot of conflicting stories as to their stops and starts in this hostage release. A lot of, you know, uh, new, uh, nuance going on as to what's actually happening behind, behind the scenes. And I thought you would have a good idea of what's actually happening. So take it from here. Tell us what you think is going on on the ground in Gaza and in Israel. Sure. You know, as the world remains focused on the conflict in Gaza, central to every story is the hostage crisis. This is exactly why Hamas grabbed 240 men, women, and children from more than 40 countries around the world. Victims included family members, fathers, mothers, grandparents, and grandchildren, elderly as old as 85 years old, and children as young as three months. They were not spared from this terror of kidnapping. But why? Because hostage terrorism works, Todd. This is central to what Hamas and their, their mullahs in Tehran that finance them and support them. They've been doing this since the 1979 overthrow of the American embassy in Tehran. It's highly effective. And my definition, disrupt and degrade the political will and decision-making ability of their declared adversary. Their hostages are used for the purpose of making public demands, increasing public awareness of their cause, raising funds by extorting ransoms and or forcing concessions from nation states or other entities. And we're seeing it on display right now. The, the reason that ceasefire is in effect today is because of these hostages. That's the only bargaining chip Hamas has and that in world opinion, which they're using very effectively to put pressure on Netanyahu. And, you know, I, I've said this for years. Hostage terrorism is how terrorist organizations negotiate with the West. And we have no better example than what's on display every day here in uh, in Gaza. Well, I can tell you on the ground here in Israel, the hostages are the key issue. The people are very angry about it. Uh, they're angry at the government. They're angry at why it happened. Uh, they're, you know, putting pressure on Netanyahu. And you're right. I mean, it's that public pressure that is 
cause this ceasefire, which gives them, do you think four days is an, enough time to, to rearm, re-equip and, and, and redeploy? Well, they're moving in the tunneling systems. They're, they're already out. You can imagine because the, the IDF had pretty much put a noose around uh, everything in the north. But the challenge will be going forward. A million refugees from the north went to the south. So now the offensive, the next phase will be much more potentially catastrophic. And the casualty rates will arguably be twice as bad simply because of the density. Um, Gaza is, as you know, it's the most densely packed neighborhoods on the planet, roughly 16,000 people per square mile. And that now has doubled because half of Gaza has been arguably overrun by the IDF or taken over by the IDF. But the ground tunneling network, you know, obviously Hamas is moving freely. Again, this is this is why they did this. And the challenge is all this media, this constant media speculation about hostages daily and don't turn on any news network from CNN to Fox to, I mean, literally to all the uh, the other networks like us here in the Armed Forces Network, mm-hmm. everyone's talking about this story, and that's fueling the speculation. And the challenge is, all we're doing is rising the value of the hostage in Hamas. And in particular, the fact that the U.S. administration's played such a central role in forcing this ceasefire, um, that stakes have been raised, risen so high, because the goal, when I worked in Iraq, I, I had a colleague uh, at this for years, uh, Mark Thompson, uh, who was a, a, a former Marine recon officer, worked for state CT, and he shared insights of his 30, 40 years of working in this this realm, that the goal is to not value, bring up the value of the hostages in the eyes of the world. You want to bring up the value of the humanity, the fact that it is grandparents and children, but you want to publicly not raise their profile. So when the president of the United States is making daily statements about the hostages, all it's doing is raising the value of the hostages to Hamas, which is yeah. why to date no Americans have been released, even though there was expect expectations that especially that young girl who lost her parents. She's three years mm-hmm. old, actually just turned four, I believe. Isabel, she mm-hmm. is still being held. And it's because the value and when we raise the conversation like we're doing, all it does means it's going to be that much harder uh, for those hostages, in particular, the Americans to come home. So the Biden administration is doing this all wrong, in your opinion? Well, they're doing a lot of things wrong. First off, paying mm-hmm. six billion, you know, wiring six billion dollars. Uh, and the announcement, if you can believe it, was right on about September 11th, the anniversary of 9-11. They yeah. literally announced that we were transferring six billion dollars. Now, I understand it was Iranian money from fuels and from and it's been held up for years. But so what? Why would you give six billion dollars, billion dollars? to the leading state sponsor of terrorism, who we all know they they supported this and they're they're the ones calling the shots. Hamas is nothing more than a proxy army for the for the mullahs in Tehran. And we just again, but it's the pattern of not just the Biden administration. This is the Obama, second Obama administration, because let's go back in history a little bit. Obama for for years, US policy always was at perceived policy that we don't make, didn't negotiate with terrorists. That was never U.S. policy. It was the perception. But our policy was, and when I was in Iraq, our policy was the U.S. will not make concessions to terrorism, nor give them the benefit of ransom or exchange of prisoners. And that was an ironclad uh, position. It was us, the Brits, UK, Australia, New Zealand that held that position, which actually kept those those nationalities safer because other countries like Germany, Italy, uh, France, they paid out multi-million dollar ransoms. What do you think that did 
for their any passport holder with a French passport, a German passport. It put a target on their back, not just in the Middle East, Africa and elsewhere. In fact, today mm-hmm. on the continent of Africa, kidnapping alone of European foreigners is what's funding terrorism on the continent. So the U.S. got into that game when President Obama not only did a deal to release five senior Taliban and Al-Qaeda leaders that were held in Gitmo for a American soldier, Bo Bergdahl, who walked off his post, arguably a deserter, was mm-hmm. traded for five ranking Taliban and Al-Qaeda leadership. And, the, and not only did they do that, you know, in Qatar, which is where these negotiations are going on today, that deal was made in Qatar. President Obama announced it from the Rose Garden with Bo Bergdahl's parents. Yeah, and he I announced to the world, yeah, he announced to the world that not only does the U.S. negotiate with terrorists, we make concessions to terrorism. And that same administration within about two years before Obama left in his final year, they sent a pallet of cash, $400 million in a pal- on a plane that landed in Tehran. And one of the Iranian Americans, I think it was four that was swapped for that ransom payment, said we sat on the runway till on a plane, I think he said a C-130 landed and then we were allowed to leave because it was a pallet of euros and U.S. greenbacks stacked on a pallet. And so ever since then, the U.S. does not have a policy of no concessions to terrorism. We have made, we, we've made these concessions and hence we're now in the hostage game because we are no different than France, Germany, or anyone else in Europe. So with all the defections or not defections, but you know, people infiltrators in the Biden White House from Iran that were sympathizers, et cetera, that losing security clearances, a lot of that, you know, makes sense. But talk to us about in your time in Iraq, you get the call, there's a hostage somewhere. What's the process behind the scenes with all the interagency, you know, communica- communications? Well, it's ironic. You know, people keep calling me a hostage negotiator. And yes, I did work some negotiations um, behind the scenes in Iraq and, and, and post that tour. But in mm-hmm. reality, I try to keep stressing, Navy SEALs don't negotiate with terrorists. We, yeah. we kill them. We hunt them yeah. down. And that was always our mission. The hostage working group had three simple priorities. First and foremost was rescue recovery of hostages. Second was prevent future kidnappings. And third, bring those responsible to justice. So our mission was not negotiate with terrorists. Our mission was rescue hostages, kill bad guys, hunt, hunt the kidnappers. And that's, that's what we did largely. I mean, it took, you know, it took 18 months out of my 22 months, well, two years out ultimately uh, doing some other work for some other, um, other government organizations I won't go into here. Um, Two years in Iraq where we finally got serious about the threat and we, we rolled up the networks that were doing the kidnappings. But early on, when someone was kidnapped, the first question asked was, what's their nationality? Because their nationality meant everything. If it wasn't mm-hmm. a, if they were a European and a good ally, then we would support them and help them in some, some ways. But it was this calculus. And if it was a country that we knew was going to pay a ransom, like France, Germany, I mean, we'd offer intelligence support. But the reality was they were going to play the hostage game. And that wasn't our policy. Our closest allies, as I stated, Australia, England, Canada, and the UK, they had the same policy as us. No negotiation with terrorists, dual hostage rescue mission. So we work with, you know, obviously the Special Air Service, this mm-hmm. SBS, Special Boat Service guys, and of course our special forces. We have premier hostage rescue force on planet Earth used to fly yeah. for those guys. You know who we're talking about. Um, and their, their goal was hostage rescue. And that's what our focus was on, not concessions, not negotiations with terrorists. 
even though they did happen behind the scenes. So when did things change during Obama? I mean, when, when did the, the, the legitimate military, I guess, uh, outlook and projection on the security of the United States and our citizens change to something else? Well, did you like have a I feeling said, uh, when it changed? Well, listen, I'm I'm an equal opportunity. I'll, you can go after every administration because every administration yeah. got into the hostage game. Even you know Carter obviously lost his presidency over it. Yeah. Jimmy, uh, Ronald Reagan, the Gipper, yeah. He, yeah. he's the one that publicly stated we don't negotiate with terrorists. Yet behind the scenes, what was Oliver North doing? He was negotiating yeah. the Iran Contra deal that was trading arms for hostages in Lebanon. So there's no presidency, Republican or Democrat, that, that goes without blame on this. And But our change in policy happened under Obama. Now, conversely, mm -hmm. Obama made, made changes to the U.S. hostage policy that were improvements. And I know this because uh, the first person that ran the new organized, uh, newly reorganized U.S. hostage policy was a close friend of mine. She was a diplomat, Julia Neshawit, who I, I met in Iraq. She was the first um, State Department, uh, you know, lead on this new organi organization that included the FBI, JSOC elements, DIA, obviously CIA. And they they reorganized how the U.S. would approach it, especially from how they would take care of the families. And they did a much better job. They're doing a better, much better job. And the organization today is run by uh, West Point grad, Green Beret, Roger Carsons, who's, who's one of the most impressive warrior diplomats and capable individuals you'll find on planet Earth. So that change was done under Obama, but the, the, the critical thing about the fact that the, the announcement from the Rose Garden and that $400 million ransom payment, call it what you will, they, they try yeah. to say it was not a ransom payment, but it's a ransom payment. And that's, that's the change. And we have a, you know, now we have an administration that's doubling down on it. And look where we're at today. They're, like I said, America, your American passport now makes you as much of a target as any other any other one, any other person traveling around the world these days. So any guesses on how this is going to play out in Gaza? Well, there'll be probably, you know, two more days of the hostage release today, tomorrow. And uh, that, that would have been the fourth day. There's a talk about it being extended for up to 10, you know, 10 days total or 10 hostages per day. But the reality is Hamas cannot give up all these hostages because if they do, they're done. They give mm -hmm. up all hostages. Israel is going to wipe them out. Therefore, the Americans are going to be held on as long as possible. And sadly, heartbreakingly, the Israeli men and women that are of, of military service age, because everyone in Israel serves, there's probably active duty soldiers in the hostages. There's certainly reservists, because I know you stay in the reserves in the IDF until I believe age 40. Um, so any Israeli man or woman that is affiliated with the IDF, um, their captivity is, is going to be a while, months yeah. and potentially years. Anything else you want our audience to know, Dan, about this whole situation? I, I will I will finish on a on an op-ed that we're going to publish on the site. Um, mm -hmm. You want, combating hostage station, hostage terrorism requires confrontation, not conciliation. It needs to be kept in the clandestine shadows uh, via versus press conferences from the White House. We need to get back to using historical precedent to guide our our current hostage policy, not one that panders to wishful thinking. The thought that paying millions and now billions in ransoms yesterday will now lead to paying billions for the future. It's a failed strategy, and we're seeing that on display. Making concessions to terrorism only encourages more of it. Bowing to an enemy that still calls America the great Satan only emboldens more acts of terrorism.
and and our audience can find uh you know you and i flew to the czech republic uh and, and interviewed the afghan leader from the mountains of afghanistan in prague and you can find that interview on armedforces.press dan thanks so much we'll have you back thank you all right take care